Welcome to Real Money Talks, how to make money, manage money, and invest money. Your Real Money Talks host, Laurel Langmire, gets straight to the point about what it actually takes to make money and build lasting wealth in today's changing economic climate. If you're ready to get the financial results you've always dreamed of, keep listening. Real Money Talks is the right place for you. And now here's your host, Laurel Langmire. Hi, this is Laurel. Welcome to Laurel's Real Money Talks, where we talk about how to make money, how to keep money, how to invest money, how to use a team and build a team. This coming uh, month, we'll be talking a lot about the new tax reform and how that's going to affect you, things to do about it. And we're going to continue a regular conversation around cannabis. So one of my favorite subjects, and I'm my partner, Ben, with us today. So Ben, welcome to Laurel's Real Money Talks. Hi, Laurel. Thank you. So you are like a original, like IPO kind of guy, mergers, acquisitions, and now you are heavily into cannabis. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how'd you go from one entire space and uh, now living in Vegas and having a grow, you have a dispensary, it's a great operation. How did that all happen? I've been fascinated by the industry the last five years. I, I first got introduced to it. It's been five years now in mm-hmm. Colorado. I kept getting pitched on the marijuana space, and I honestly I knew absolutely nothing about it. I had never even I had seen marijuana one time in my entire life. That was <laughs> that was how much I knew about marijuana. I just knew absolutely nothing about it, and other than being raised in the just say no to drugs and marijuana, definitely being grouped into that. And I and I had this very negative perception of marijuana and the way that the society was going with the marijuana space five years ago, which was still pretty young into the space, but more and more information was coming out. And I kept about the medicinal benefits to it. And so that's how it started for me uh, five years ago by being introduced to it through some opportunities in, in Colorado. That's great. And then how did you find your original partners? Because part of the podcast and our listeners are always curious how to get started. We'll come to our story and how we got started and what we're up to. But how did you find your original partners? Because that's always a curious space for people to get into. And then how did you do a deal? The first deal that I put together was in Colorado that I began putting together there and was with guys that I met in Colorado. I first got introduced through an attorney that represented clients in in the marijuana space in Colorado. They were great guys, but we didn't love what they were doing. But it was just fascinating. And I was able to meet medical patients and quickly became converted to this space that I knew nothing about. And like you said, finding good partners was, was critical. So while I became fascinated by it and by this plant, and the power of this plant that I, that the attorney that introduced me to this, that represented this, this transaction asked me, Hey, do you want to look at, at other transactions and meet other people in the space? And he represented a ton of people in the cannabis world out there that he'd helped them out with their licensing, the regulatory side of things. And I said, absolutely. So I spent the next six months of my life almost all the time in Colorado, probably 
a week and a half to two weeks out of the month, I was back and forth to Colorado meeting with different entrepreneurs, small business owners, dispensary owners, guys that had grow. And out there, you had to, at that time in Colorado, you had to have a dispensary and you had to grow 70% of your own product. That was what the rule was. So everybody had their little dispensary and everybody had their own little grow and that they were making their product and figuring out how to do it. And the regulations were so new and they were changing so rapidly that the, that the industry itself, I watched it evolve before me. And this, and I took this opportunity to meet with and, and, and talk to so many different operators out there. I, I, I can't remember the number, but mm-hmm. it was a lot that I went through and, and I learned and I would ask, ask questions and learn and ask questions. And it got to, and I, I got to where I could tell the guys that knew what they were talking about and the guys that were BSing me. And there were a lot of guys out there and I, and I quickly learned and I kind of got to where I, where there were a lot of, and they were good guys. They just had limited experience with growing a, a business of any sort of scale. And, and I gravitated myself to people that had good operational processes. And, and that was how the first guys that I, I put together with, had a, they were out of Colorado Springs, great guys. They're still in business to this day. They they do uh, cons- they do consulting work around the country. They in, they're in Illinois. They're back east. They're in California, Colorado, Arizona. Uh, very good guys, and that was our very first transaction. Just smart guys. He owned a ranch and a farm, and decided to get in this cannabis business. That was how that was his background, mm-hmm. and he learned it just by hard knocks. But when I met him, he'd been doing it for a few years. And he'd become pretty dang good at it. So that was my first experience on, in, in, into this industry. And it made all the difference in the world in finding a great guy that really knew this knew the space. And so you said, and I want to just bring this up because I, I think it's true in any industry, is that you you found people who knew what they were doing and you clearly heard those who didn't that were just full of it. And I think that's in a lot of spaces. But don't you find that there's a trend you know, when you're starting to learn something that the trend of the truth, you know, kind of actually shows up. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing how it's for any business in the industry, how when you start talking to a lot of people, you can and you know, start learning, you can begin to see the truth. And, you know, the more you do it, the more I think you see where that line is of those that know what they're talking about and those that don't. Yeah. Most of and, 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 and to this day, I see consultants all over the country and they're great, they're great people. Honestly, they're, they're super nice and they're just trying to do their job and and trying to sell their service and, and to make their own living for themselves. But so many of these consultants that are out there, expert consultants, and they charge a lot of money, Laurel. I mean, there's one person I know that has a lot of work and they charge hundreds of thousands of dollars for a client to do consulting work for them. But if you really dig into them, they've never actually built a marijuana business. And, and, and grown plants or put that all together from the ground up. They're great on the paperwork and very good at writing the business plan. But when it comes to the actual execution of writing, as a friend of mine in the business says, having operating procedures that actually function and work, <laughs> that, that is a different ball game than writing a business plan that can win a, a, a license to operate in the business. And sadly, actually, I think it's sad. I totally agree. So 
I want to talk a little bit about the timing of, so once you you know got your partners and the deal started, and in your situation, you had one funder and ours, we're going to do it very differently. We'll speak about that in a little bit. What, um, what were some of the challenges in getting going? I mean, was it the license? Was it the political side? Like, you know, I think people know different parts of it. I want them to hear the truth from you and how it really goes down. Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces in the marijuana business. And that's the good and the bad. It's the good because it, it keeps out people or makes it difficult for people that don't make smart moves. You can, you can make a lot of wrong steps in this space and waste a lot of money and waste a lot of time. And time is money, and, and, and that can cost you in the long run uh, substantially. So I think, I think making the right moves is, is critical in getting in that space. And, I, and the number one thing, obviously, it starts with having a license. And that in and of itself can be a very complicated process. In fact, almost anywhere, it's a pretty complicated process. And in some places, it's extremely complicated and may involve uh, political aspects of that as well. Um, where, And what I mean by the political aspects, in more and more jurisdictions, it's becoming a bigger deal. There are the state governments, and they're willing to issue the licenses. But even if the state government's willing to issue the license, you have to get approval by your local jurisdiction. In some of these local jurisdictions, they don't want everybody to open up a license. It's not like you're opening up a hamburger stand or a hot dog stand, and you have a location that you know you can just open it up. You have to find a location that's suitable, and suitable means that it that it's in a, a location where the local jurisdiction wants them to be or will allow them to be. And it also has to be suitable in the sense that it has the distance separation requirements. You can't open up a marijuana dispensary right next to an elementary school. Nobody in the world is going to allow you that, allow that to happen. In fact, I think there's a federal law. Yeah. That you have to be a thousand feet away from any school. You know, it starts with that. You have to at least meet minimum distance separation requirements, number one. And then number two, it has to be in an area where the local jurisdiction, the city, the county, the, the municipality that controls that, that business licensing and the zoning process will allow. And then finally, are you the kind of operator that they want to represent their city in this? There's a city in California that I'm aware of, a relatively small city. And they went through a process. They had 20, 25 applicants for a dispensary license, but the city only wanted one dispensary license in the city. Well, how do they choose the one? There's 25 applicants there. And that's what I mean by the political process. That means you have to go get to know these people that are making this decision and help them to understand why you are different than the many others that may be competing for that single license or those limited number of licenses that might be available there. And Ben, what was the distinctions that got you the license that just in general, you know, we're talking to folks in Alberta, Canada right now about getting licenses, 1900 people apply somewhere in the 80 ish range of people get them. So what are some of the things that create that distinction? That's a pretty good number. On most of these applications, I, I think that you're saying 10 applicants for every one that's even available. And some of those are some very stiff competition. The one thing, I, I had limited experience in dealing with any political process in my past life. It just wasn't something I've ever really had to deal with. And I have to admit, I have been impressed by 
these local politicians, the, the city councilmen, the mayors, these county commissioners. I've gotten to know so many of them, not like we're best friends or anything, but I've gotten to know them on a professional level. And I have been impressed by the amount of time, effort, and energy that they're willing to invest in the process because they really care about their community. They're there giving community service and they want the best for their community. And so you've got to separate yourself out as to why you are that best applicant. And that can be a lot of things. One, there's some obvious ones. A lot of the people that you'll see competing with them, they come in not looking very professional. The unfortunate thing about the marijuana business is a bit of a stigma for the perception <laughs> of the lifestyle of yep. marijuana, okay? Let's call it what it is, right? So, you know, the person that might be a heavy smoker of marijuana, the perception is, and I think it's a false perception, by the way, is that this that, that person isn't a Wall Street investment banker. The truth is, is I've met very professional, white-collar investment banking lawyers, CEOs, executives of very large corporations that actually use marijuana for stress relief, medicinal purposes, and and they are very professional people, and you would never pick them out of a crowd of consumers of marijuana. Now, so when you're going and competing against that, they want to give a perception to their community. So you want to go and look professional. It doesn't matter what you may look like, long hair, short hair, but at least present yourself very professional. And I think number two then that goes to, and I think it was very true in Nevada, is the politicians wanted people that were going to operate legally. They didn't want to get, if you open up a dispensary in a local city and it comes out in the news that you're selling drugs out the back door or you're selling them to kids or you're selling them unsafe and you're not, you're not making sure that you have a high quality product that doesn't have you know, negative pesticides and mildews and things that can be toxic and harmful to people. That type of press then goes back to that politician to say, why did you, Mr. Mayor, approve this person to run this dispensary and look, he's a bad guy and he's done bad things. You know, whether that's true or not doesn't matter. It's the perception to that politician. And those politicians are very, very concerned, extremely concerned about what that perception is. And so they want people that are going to be professional. They're going to run it right. And the next thing I would say, they're going to give back to their community. They want to improve the community. So they're looking for people that are, that are going to help to give that back. And, and I've seen people here in some of these application processes where they overplay that card. You've got to be legitimate and you've got to really give it back and be sincere with what you do. But the ones that go in and say, give this big story that we're going to give all of this profit to our local community and education or drug education or anti-drug for kids and those types of things. But it's got to be a real plan. It's got to be executable and it's got to be realistic to Otherwise, it doesn't have credibility to that politician. They look at you and think, yeah, you're just trying to sell me to get this license. So don't overplay. And I, I think that's a mistake that people make, Laurel. I'm sure you've seen yeah. it in other, other businesses and industries where people Always. oversell it. You know, yeah. you don't need to oversell it. You need to be real and you need to be authentic. And that authenticity will come through 
And if you're the right person and the best candidate for the, for that, that will also come through and they'll choose you for that. But they'll respect you for being authentic. I believe more yep. than selling them the sun and the moon, the stars that everybody knows you can't deliver. Yeah. So in your, on your team, you clearly have somebody who's in the, the political camp and, you know, we're continuing to work that. How important is that to have somebody in the political camp and really get to know, you know, the city councilmen, the mayors, the judges, in your opinion, how much does that matter? It can be a, a big factor. And in each jurisdiction that we would go into, we want to find somebody that really knows the local market. We can't be experts. We can understand the process. But for many people, they don't even understand the process. So having a political consultant that, first of all, understands the process, and secondly, that understands your local market can be very effective. You have to be very careful with that because there's a lot of political consultants that do the same thing. They're going to sell you the sun, the moon, the stars. And you got to be very selective and careful with selecting the right people. If you hire the wrong political consultant, it can actually backfire on you and cause you more damage than, than good. So you got to be careful with getting the right, the right people. But the right person can do a lot of good for you. And what I mean by the right person, the person that has the right respect of those local, of the right politicians, because that respect, that trust can convey to you, if that guy who has a longstanding relationship, let's assume it's a mayor that he's dealing with, and the mayor is obviously very influential in, in a city, and that mayor trusts this political consultant because he is always honest and truthful. He has been honest and truthful with the mayor. And over, over 20 years, that trust has been built up. So now when he brings you to the mayor and he says, this is a good guy, that trust is going to be able to convey to the mayor to you. That's going to be a heavy weight of consideration versus another person that maybe he hires another political consultant. And maybe that guy's a little shadier. Maybe he's got a bit of a reputation that he's just trying to sell the deal. And maybe he's brought in some stuff that hasn't been very good for the city before the city went on. So there's less trust there. It's common sense. If you're the mayor, which one are you going to trust more? If everything else being equal. Now, they're smart people and they recognize the political consultant and the role that they play. And that's not going to be the make it. That's not going to reason why you're going to get it or the reason why you're not going to get it. But it certainly is not going to hurt. In Vegas, there is a particular political consultant. I don't want to mention his name, but he is a very powerful political guy in the state and extremely political. I tell you, I had a meeting with him. He wanted a quarter million dollar fee to be retained, plus ten huh. percent of the business, plus a royalty on all of your sales of that business. <laughs> And, and at that time, we thought there were going to be only 10 licenses available initially in Las Vegas. Now, that ended up being different. But at that time, he looked at me and he said, you know what, Ben? I really like you. And I really like what you're talking about and your strategy and approach to everything. And I want to take you on as a client. The problem is, this is my fee. And he told me his fee. And he said, I've already taken on 10 clients, and there's only 10 licenses available. And my clients are going to get those 10. 
So if I took you on, you can't even get a license. And he recommended me not even trying because his clients were going to get those 10 licenses. So it's it kind of a funny story, but I, let me tell you, of his 10 clients that he told me were guaranteed to get those 10 licenses, I believe three of them actually got licenses and seven of them didn't. So just always keep that in perspective. And he is a very big political guy in this state. And so they want to think that they can control it. They're going to make you think that they can control it. But the truth is, it's going to come down to the quality of your package. What they can do is help put you in front of the right people with the right relationship to give you the opportunity to make the right pitch to hopefully close the deal. I know we got to wrap in just a moment. We could talk forever. And I'm actually going to be bringing Ben back on a regular basis to continue our journey through the podcast of our Cathedral City uh, purchase, uh, Henderson moving into Alberta, Canada. So we are heavily going into all of those markets. But before we end, I just want one quick question is that I think the biggest question that I hear is, you know, how do you know or how do you get in line to get a license? <laughs> That's probably a big, yeah. a big question. So we'll give a short answer and then we'll come back on another podcast and spend 25, 30 minutes really going through it. Yeah, it's a big open-ended question, but it starts with asking questions. Talk to your local jurisdiction. Your state has a process. They're not hiding the process. Go to the state, call the state, find out where that application is. And secondly, call your local jurisdiction. I'm doing that right now. I'm working on a few licenses in a few jurisdictions that people aren't really working on. I'm calling the people and talking directly to the staff. I'm talking to a county commissioner. As we speak, they are writing the rules right now, and I'm talking to the county commissioner, the guy in charge of it all, because I'm asking the questions to say, what are you doing? What are your intentions? What do you want to do? And let me help you to be a part of the process if I can. And hopefully by being part of the process, we can end out the right way with it. But, but it really starts with just simply picking up the phone, going down and seeing them and saying, are you going to allow cannabis? And if so, what's the process and what's the application? And they're going to give it to you. It's that simple. That's awesome. Ben, thank you for being on today. Uh, you are all listening to Laurel's Real Money Talks. Like I said, I'll be bringing Ben in this cannabis conversation. We might even bring a few more guests on. Ben knows quite a few people in this space. Stay tuned. We will also be doing some workshops as we head into 2018. So, Ben, thank you. And uh, we'll see you on the next Laurels Row Money Talks. Thank you. And for any of you that want a request, have a question, go to asklaurel.com, put in your name, phone number, and email, whatever your request is or your question is, and we will be right back with you in less than 24 hours. So we'll talk soon. Thank you for joining Laurel for this segment of Real Money Talks, how to make money, manage money, and invest money. To continue this new conversation and to find free resources to support your wealth creation, visit asklaurel.com forward slash podcast gifts. That's A-S-K-L-O-R-A-L dot com forward slash podcast gifts. Thanks for listening and join us again soon. New episodes are released every week.